I'm Bailey. Hi, I'm Charles. And you're listening to Hold Me, I'm Scared. <laughs> and welcome back to Hold Me, I'm Scared, where once a week we pick out a fear or something kind of spooky and explore it. Ooh, this week, we're talking about cults. That's right, the long-awaited topic by one Miss Bailey Workman. Yes, I love talking about cults. Do you think that you could be persuaded to join a cult? I think we already were. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, I don't necessarily know that I could be talked into joining a cult if it was run by a man. But I do think that if a hot girl was like, I am the key to solving all your problems, I would be like, sure, here is my life savings. See, I don't know if now that I could, but definitely if you were to catch me in like my preteen up to like 23, you probably could have roped me into something because I was definitely struggling with my sexuality and really like trying to navigate life as a newly out person. You could have pulled me in and been like, here, this will help. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I did, I think like everyone has points of time when they could be talked in to uh, a cult. I mean, some look, nowadays, honestly, is it going to be much worse than just like general daily life in America right now? Like, um, it could be. It could be. It really, it really depends on the cult, um, which kind of leads into some of the facts and figures that we have, what kind of makes... Or breaks a cult. Um, I keep saying like cult, like a baby horse. Wait, what's C- the difference? C- cult. Cult. Cult and cult. Cult. Cult is a baby horse. A cult is a following of people. What am I saying? I cult. I was saying cult by an accident. These sound the same to me. Do you not hear the same? Do you not hear the difference? No. Listen. Cults. Cult and cult. <laughs> you don't hear a difference? It just sounds the same. I'm sickened by you. Um, oh, oh, I for- almost forgot. Um, you're officially older than me now. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was my birthday. Feel free to sing it in your mind. <laughs> or right now, pause and sing happy birthday to me. Um, <laughs> How like do you I said, feel? Do you feel 40? I feel at least 63, and I, I'm i kind of happy to be at this stage in my life, you know, past my midlife crisis, my quarter-life crisis, and a healthy marriage with a successful career, and I just do this podcast for fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aren't you excited for that to happen for you? Well, being that this year I'll be turning 18, it's just quite a ways away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I also turned 18. <laughs> And 63 simultaneously. So, from Call Education Institute, psychiatrist Robert J. Lifton, who wrote the definitive book about thought reform, often called quote-unquote brainwashing, also wrote a paper about cult formation. He defined a cult as having the following three characteristics. Number one, a charismatic leader who increasingly becomes an object of worship, 
as the general principles uh, that may have originally sustained the group lose power. Uh, number two, a process is in use called coercive persuasion or thought reform. And number three, economic, sexual, or other exploitation of group members by the leader and the ruling coterie, which is like the top dogs of the cult. So not only the leader, but the leading members. So think so think like a manager of a store and then you have your like assistant managers. Um, so from FACT, which is Families Against Cult Teachings, currently, which is crazy, it is estimated by <laughs> cult scholars, which I didn't know that was a thing, um, that there are over, over 3,500 different cult groups in the U.S. alone with more than 4 million members. That's a lot of people. Yeah, and... Um... So not all groups that are classified as cults, be- cults because like though we have that definition of cults, um, there's not like necessarily one standard definition amongst all cult scholars that's used. So there are some groups that are classified as cult groups that aren't necessarily harmful. Um, oh, okay. But there there are quite a few that are. But still, like, a brainwashed mass of people. It's not even um, necessarily brainwashed. So that's what I'm saying is, like, um, some some groups that are, like, some people that are in what is defined as, like, a cult by some cult scholars are, like, perfectly happy being in that religious sect. Like, and it, it's just um, that the definition of cult varies widely depending on who's studying them. So, like, some people believe that, like, Scientology and, like, the Church of Latter-day Saints are cults. Yeah. Um, While other people don't. So it's not all, like... It's not all one cookie cutter. Yeah, exactly. There's not one so, cult cookie cutter. <laughs> yes. So, so there are, it is, like, possible that some groups that may be classified as cults aren't, like, intrinsically harmful. Um but generally what we think about when we think about cults are the ones that do involve brainwashing and that are harmful. Right, like the radical type of yeah, groups. For sure. um, and you might wonder, like, who is susceptible to being persuaded by a cult? Is it you? Is it me? The truth is, uh, almost anyone could potentially become involved with an unsafe or destructive group. We are all especially suggestible at certain times when depressed or lonely during an awkward transition within the new environment, such like a college campus or being away from home after a romantic breakup, a death in the family, or some other personal problem or ordeal. Since all people have such experiences, we all have periods of vulnerability, and many destructive cults slash groups have honed their skills, timing, and focused their programs to exploit such situations as opportunities for recruitment, which is messed up. But you know what? That's what we're here to talk about, the messed up and the creepy. I definitely found in my research, like, uh, some of the materials that I looked at had direct interviews from people that were in the cult that I researched, and a lot of them were, like, previously had been victim to abuse or, like, were suffering psychologically or... um, like we're displaced from a home so cults definitely like have a consistent pattern of targeting 
people that are like particularly vulnerable they and they know how to look for these people and also there's like um it's just like how in like there are one-on-one relationships that have cycles of abuse a lot of times cults will like bring people in who are hurting or like poor or scared and love bomb them um so like oh just compliment them make them feel really special make them feel loved make them feel like they have a family and it's it's not immediate that like you joined this group and then all of a sudden you're being exploited and like treated like crap it's usually a slow process um to where like you might not even realize what's going on yeah and like oftentimes it becomes like Stockholm syndrome like you don't even like you you trust these people and you trust what they say and some of these things might even feel normal to you especially if you grew up in the cult and Mm -hmm. you weren't like indoctrinated in um but if you were taken in at like a vulnerable moment um you know it's an unfortunate thing that humans can learn to eventually like become uh what's what I'm looking for like stable with their abuser so that is or like dependent upon them yeah a big thing in both so like the way that cults operate mimics abusive relationships in a lot of ways in that like cults focus on isolating you from other support systems that you might have um or even like isolating people from like material supports that they have a lot of times they encourage people to get rid of all of their possessions um and so then you're in this position where you have no money and no family and where do you go you know yeah so you're either like homeless and poor or you're like with the people who keep you afloat and were at one time probably very kind to you. Yeah. I just think it's really interesting and sad. Yes. Interesting <laughs> and very twisted. And very twisted, um, which makes it, like, darkly fascinating. I think that's why I'm so interested, too, is because it, like, all people are, even if you think you're not, like, all people are susceptible to this type of persuasion and coercion if you get caught at the right time by the right person um and that like all these cults like while they vary widely in like beliefs they tend to follow this like same pattern of gaining followers and then making it difficult for people to leave and i just think it's really interesting that throughout these like vastly diverse experiences there's these like common patterns I'm sure there will be common patterns between my cult and your cult today. And I think, like, some people, when they think about cults and the people who are in them, and they're like, well, why wouldn't you just leave? Like, that's the reason. You you may be dependent or so... I mean, I've I've read so many stories about, you know, people who are, quote-unquote, brainwashed because Mm -hmm. they depend on these people and they believe that they have their best interests at heart, even if sometimes they don't they they don't always realize that and it's always easy to say from the outside like I would leave that situation or like you should leave that situation but it's just not always that simple Mm -mm. because it's oftentimes designed like we said by someone who's very charismatic and who seems like they 
have got your back. Yeah, and uh, FKA Twigs actually recently did an interview um, about her experience with domestic abuse, and she was asked, um, why, like, why didn't you leave? And she said, like, basically, respectfully, I'm not going to answer that question anymore because we shouldn't be asking victims why they didn't leave. We should be asking perpetrators, why did you hold someone hostage with your abuse? Yeah, I think I saw that. Was that, um, who was that interview? I saw that in like a TikTok. Was it Gail King, maybe? I think so. And I just thought that was so profound and important in that, like, and and important to keep in mind as we tell these stories today, because you may be tempted to ask yourself, like, if it was so bad or, you know, like, why didn't you leave? And I think it's more important to ask of the, uh like terrible people who do this shit you know why did you do this in the first place why yeah. did you why did you make it difficult to leave it's a lot easier to blame the victim unfortunately which is so sad and that's very prevalent in our society especially in our american society yeah for sure we're not doing that not today on this podcast not on this podcast <laughs> Okay, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. ready. I'm ready. (laughs) So before I go into my story, I do want to give a trigger warning. Um, There are discussions of uh, physical, sexual, and mental abuse uh, uh, perpetrated against both children and adults. I will not be discussing any of the details Um, any of the graphic details of anything that was perpetrated against children because um, it makes me too sick and I don't think everyone needs to hear that but just know if you decide to research this topic on your own you will find that information Um, and there will be some graphic details of violence perpetrated against adults Uh, so you know if that's too much for you if you don't want to hear it that's fine I'll catch you next week when we talk about something else Um, I just wanted to give that warning before we get started. All right. We should talk about bees. <laughs> bees? Uh, I love a good yeah. bee. Oh, oh my gosh. So I had to get a, a tuberculosis test, and I forgot that they hurt. It's not, like, terrible, but it feels exactly like getting stung by a wasp. Oh, really? Yes. So I guess being stung by a wasp isn't that bad. It's not like that bad, but it does. It's just like a. It's like it, I. I didn't remember it hurting at all, so I was I, surprised. I don't. I remember it feeling like kind of. I don't have tuberculosis, by the Yay! way. Yay! I'm. I'm like 99. Well, I haven't gotten it read yet, but I didn't get a TB test because I suspect I have tuberculosis. Well, and like your TB test will like coagulate up if there's something wrong. Is that when you get a bubble? Yeah. Mine hasn't done anything. Oh my god, I was waiting for you to be like, mine has a bubble. <laughs> I'm like, I have to go. You're like, oh, is that what happened? <laughs> like, okay, so uh, topic of today is actually tuberculosis. Um, this is a PSA announcement. Okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm like stalling because I, I'm nervous. Well, I also brought up bees. Yes, I'm. <clears throat> I'm nervous. This I, this one does for you. Oh, you know what? I think we need to go back to our scale, too. And this is not just to stall, but 
we did on our first episode, we did a scale of how afraid we are of, from 1 to 10, and then we oh. revisited it after our stories, and I want to do that yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, so on a scale of 1 to 10, how afraid are you of being, like, potentially being in a cult or of the concept of cults? How much? I'm... It's a lot more prevalent than plane crashes. Um, <laughs> which I don't know is like if I count that as a good or a bad thing. Um, but I'm going to say... Ooh, I'm like, okay. On like being... Me being sucked into a cult. I just say like the, one. in general. All just in general, like everything cults. cults I'm going to say... Five and a half. Yeah, I think I'm like a six and a half. Yeah, I'm a. I'm afraid. I don't necessarily. Okay, I don't really think like a hot girl could make me join a cult, but like I'm saying that it's like a non-zero chance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but not zero. Um, but like just the idea that. That it happens, like it's is so like a, prevalent. I think I'm gonna go with like what I kept here in my mind first was six. I'm yeah. gonna go with six as my answer. Okay, let's see if we're um, if our fears are assuaged. Oh, I haven't used that word like maybe ever before. Assuaged. <laughs> um, that's back from when I was 11 years old and I still knew how to read. Um, yeah, I, or if we are more uh, to verb make. An unpleasant feeling less intense. I didn't know that. I like thought I knew, but I didn't know. You're welcome. Okay. All right. So today <laughs> I am discussing the Anthill Kids. So my sources were two 1993 McLean's articles, one titled Under the Spell of a Madman, the other titled The Antel Kids, Wikipedia, and of course I watched a documentary um, called The Deadly Messiah Crime Documentary. Um, Listen, don't feel bad about it. How is most of our information perceived this past, like, de- well, two decades I, the through thing video? The is, is that usually, like, when people who were experienced things, like, give interviews, I like to see their body language. I like to, like, see their faces as they tell their stories. Um, because I feel like things can get misinterpreted via, like, text alone. So when I seek out, like, interviews of people that have experienced the things they're talking about, I always want to watch the video, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, So this one, okay, yeah, so I found it on YouTube, so you can go watch it. But again, just be wary of some graphic details. Okay, so this was a cult that was started by Rock Terrio. um, And there's a lot of French words because he was born in Quebec, so I'm probably going to butcher some. But... I know how to pronounce the names because I looked them up. So, uh, he was born in 1947 in Quebec, Canada, into a French-Canadian family, and he was raised in Thetford Mines. Uh, so, Rock's dad was a hardcore Catholic, and he was a member of um, a subsect of Catholics called the White Berets, which were like a far-right extremist group. Um, he was also pretty abusive. Um, a lot of people that were interviewed um, that were neighbors of the family when Rock was growing up ex- like described a very tense vibe in the home. Um, 
and it wasn't like a secret that his dad was abusive. Um, and so this pushed Rock away from Catholicism, and he ended up being recruited to the Seventh-day Adventists as a young adult, and he was a door-to-door evangelist for them. Um, so he practiced the tenets of the religion's lifestyle, which involved like living healthfully. Uh, they wouldn't ingest tobacco. They ate healthy food, um, which I didn't realize that's like a big part of Seventh-day Adventism. But it's yeah. like living very healthily. Yeah, which like that's not bad. No. Um, so after an unsuccessful bid to lead the local Seventh Day Adventist congregation, uh, Terrio quit the church. So <laughs> I guess Rock was like, "Oh, I can't be in charge, so I'm done." <laughs> um, and then he opened up his own homeopathic clinic and ran stop smoking seminars. Honestly, still behind it. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, th- this is all pretty okay. And this is using, like, his charisma for something that's, like, generally good, right? So he was a very charismatic speaker, kind of a, a natural leader, which is why I think he made he tried to uh, run the local congregation. But um, the they interviewed like other members of that church and he apparently wanted to switch up a lot of the rules and the traditions and they were like we're not about that um so he was like fine i'll go do my own thing and opened that homeopathic clinic um where he like peddled um like what is the word homeopath well no herbal herbal that's the word Herbal. So in his homeopathic clinic, he like sold herbal remedies and then uh, ran these stop smoking seminars. And he gained a decent following through that and a lot of friends. And this is the 70s, too. Um, so like, you know, you have to keep in mind the vibe of the decade, right? It's a lot of that like freedom. Very, like, and, hippie dippy coming out yeah. of the 60s into freedom and love and peace. Right. Yeah, exactly. And people were a lot less attached to, like, you know, the idea of settling down um, and just a lot more. I think, look, the 70s sound like generally a pretty good time, but also I think that the decade um, and, like, that era probably did lend itself to being susceptible to someone like Rock Terrio, if that yeah, makes sense. because it's not, like, around the same time that, like, Charles Manson had a soul deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, I think just this idea of, like, finding love and connection outside of, like, your nuclear family and living a, a lifestyle that was unconventional was a lot more embraced, which could be great or could take a hard left turn into what we will soon discover is absolute hell. So, um, so in 1978... He tells his friends um, that he had a vision that the world would end the following year in 1979. Um, and these were friends that, from what I could tell from what I read, he made through his homeopathic business. And they were already kind of like, they already trusted him because they had come to him to stop smoking or for remedies for ailments um, or worked with him there. So... That seems to be his his crowd that he starts this cult with. 
Uh, so together with four other men, nine women and four children, he establishes a commune in a remote area of the Gaspe Peninsula. Um, see, so like all of this, actually, not so bad. Here's right. where it gets a, like, okay, the world ending the following year, that's like a little off, but, but like, you know, just move into, like, I would love to move to a commune with just like a few of my friends. <laughs> mm, depends on the depends on the commune <laughs> well not this one um so here's where it gets like here's where we get into to iffy territory you and so i could pre- be in a good commune together oh sorry oh yeah you. no you're good so he proclaims himself as god's representative on earth uh mm-hmm. and gives each of his followers a biblical name and gives himself the name moses wow Hmm. Uh, still not terrible, but we're getting into some dangerous territory. Now, he made his friends, his quote-unquote friends, now followers, build their little town because uh, they moved into this very remote area, and so they had to build uh, like basically their own little village. Uh, and he instructed them to make it while he relaxed. Now... <laughs> This is where I'd be out. Right. I feel like I you better like, pick up a hammer. I I would be like, you want me to pick up a hammer? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when we would take stagecraft classes together? Oh, God. Listen, me and Bailey and stagecraft, we don't do anything. Like, I can... Listen, give me a bucket of paint. I'll paint all day. That's what we did. We were the designated painters. I wasn't even particularly good at it. But once it comes to, like carry this saw this nail that screw that i'm like no no i'm I can like paint screw that and- <laughs> we're just performers yeah charles and i went to the- theater school together and we had mandatory scene shop service uh, and we were not well liked in that class no <laughs> this is um, the charles and bailey show so uh he compared them to his followers to ants working in an anthill, which is how they got the group, the name, the Ant Hill Kids. Um, so life at the commune was not like a super good time. Um, they rarely had time. So aside from Brock, the leader, uh, members rarely had time when they weren't working. They slept only a few hours a night. As for food, they ate raw vegetables that they grew themselves, and they rarely ate. Um, They sold baked goods to make money for the supplies that they needed to keep the commune going. Uh, So they would bake food, but then just sell it. They didn't get to really enjoy it. Um, And one of the followers that was interviewed said that they worked so hard and so much that they didn't even have time to think uh, that's and awful. I know and if they disobeyed Rock's orders they wouldn't get the f- full portion of the meager meals that they actually did receive so they he, they would be punished by the withholding of what little food they did get to eat um, yeah they also frequently had to listen to Rock's quote unquote motivational speeches and biblical teachings um and then they would have uh so they would have like these sessions 
which is another common thing that happens in cults where Rock would encourage them to disclose like, you know, really personal information and a lot of information about their families. And so, look, like no parent is perfect. Every parent, even if they love you, is like inevitably going to do something that upsets you or hurts your feelings at the very least, right? Because they're human and fallible. But when people would disclose, you know, like, moments from their childhood that were unideal, Rock would use that to poison them against their families and say like, oh, see, your family is like of the world. They're bad. They don't love you. You'll never be happy with them. You'll be happy with me. You need to cut them off because we are pure, like holy people and they're bad. So, and I think like the, just like this little peek into the daily life is super telling because First of all, exhaustion is definitely one of like the tenets of, of mind control and brainwashing, right? Making people so tired that they, they even say they can't think for themselves because they're that they're either working or they're like too exhausted. Um, they're starving. But they he also so they did um, when they moved to the commune, they abandoned all of their possessions. So they have basically nothing. They've got like no money, no material goods. Uh, they're at the complete mercy of this person. But keep in mind, like, these were people, he had built trust with them before they ever left. Like, he had already built a relationship with these people to the point where when he said, leave all of your shit behind and follow me and build us a town, like, they did it. So... Because yeah, they, like, he was, because up until then, he was just like an hey and not smoke and let's cure things with herbs kind of guy yeah and like they like it was like about like no smoking no drinking just being like you know natural and healthy and then you know he had already positioned himself as like a healer and that's going to be a big theme and so you know people believed in him and had faith in him and so it, it is this it seems you know when we like sum it up it seems like a really fast transition that you know, we would say like, oh, I'd be out the moment you told me to pick up a hammer. <laughs> but this this was a slow transition. And from, you know, just listening to these motivational speeches about not smoking to listening to motivational speeches about the world ending, how your families are poisoning you and, um, you know, how you have to do what you're told or you will go to hell yeah. <laughs> or and then being physically punished by like not getting food and the punishments of course get worse but it is a, it is a transition that takes place over like years so i think that's kind of important to keep in mind that's 1978 okay they build the town this is how life is going it's like not great but not horrific um and they all still think the world's gonna end the following year well, the world, surprise, spoiler, does it end in 1979? <laughs> and so some of his followers start to question Rock's authority. Uh, because, like, they're like, dude. Yeah, the world didn't end. So why have I been eating celery? Yeah. <laughs> and building you a house for a year? <laughs> um. And he explains this by saying, well, you know, God's timing is different than Earth time. Oh. Like, God doesn't operate on Earth okay. time. Okay. That makes sense. 
And so this led to a miscalculation. Of course. Right, obviously. We all you mess know. up. You said it yourself. I, I forgot to factor in God time. Uh, so he senses that there's like kind his grip on this little community that he's built is starting to slip. So in order to expand the community and to keep the members like devoted to him, uh, he marries all of the women. That and promptly impregnates all of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was quick. Uh, yep. So he fathers over 20 children. No. With the nine female members of the group. Yeah, because we need more of this dude's genes on the earth. Um, and by the 1980s, just, you know, like a year or two later, there were nearly 40 members. <sighs> Oh, God. And there's a whole lot of kids uh, in an environment that is not great for a whole lot of kids. So now with his group, his control of the group reestablished, right, all of the women are his wives. And some of the women genuinely believe that he loved them and they believe to be in love with him. Um. So, you know, there's there's then that aspect that plays into his control of the group, right? Because people think now that, like, this is love. Um, yeah. And, like, the men, uh, so, like, men and women, like, of the group, they couldn't have sex with each other unless Rock gave it explicit approval. What? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, again, he's just, like, his control is just kind of spreading, like, farther and yeah. farther. Uh, is more insidious in the lives of the, his followers. So, um, with, with this control of the group reestablished and growing more firm, uh, he abandons the Seventh-day Adventist healthy lifestyle. And Rock starts drinking. Oh, God. And he starts drinking a lot. And he becomes increasingly violent and controlling. Um not only could uh, the male and female members not have sex without his permission, uh, all members were forbidden from speaking to each other when he was not present in the room. So also, like, this prevents people from, like, comparing notes and, like, you know, you sometimes when you're in a situation where your reality is so warped, you just need someone else to be like, this isn't normal, right? Like, this is a good. And now they right. can't do that because they can't talk about anything because he's always there. Yeah, they probably all think they're going through the same thing. So they're just like, okay. And they're just, I guess they're just like, well, you know, like he, he also, they genuinely believe that this person is like God's, you know, like messenger. Yeah, they're a prophet. They, he, yeah, he's their lifeline to God. So it's like, well, like, I, I, I guess this is just how it is. And right, with like 20 um, something children. Yeah. Um, so with the drinking, he's he's a very angry and violent drunk. And also delusional, which like already he was, but it makes it worse. So um, he starts to inflict like physical punishments on followers that he considers to be straying. So he will spy on them to like catch them doing something that they're not supposed to be doing, like resting when they're supposed to be working or talking to each other, or like engaging in romantic relationships. And he'll spy on them, but then tell them like, God told me what you did. Oh, 
That's somehow worse. Right, because that reaffirms this idea that, like, oh, wow, like, he knows this, like, private detail of my life and like yeah. and like so clearly god he, he's right like god is talking to him and that makes you like scared all the time because then like if you go to think i'm gonna do this well like wait he's gonna know like he already knows because he's omnipotent oh geez. exactly yeah so it's like i can't leave because he he'll know i can't do yeah um so if a person wished to leave or tried to leave um he would hit them with a belt or a hammer. Sometimes he would, um, so like one follower, he suspended them from the ceiling and then proceeded to pluck out each of their body hairs individually. All of them? Uh, yeah. Can't, like, can I mean, confirm, I, I can't uh, imagine that he, that that's possible, but like, I, I, until he got tired of it, I would imagine. That's messed up. Yeah. And then also, I, like I told you, they sold base goods um, to bring in money. And if they didn't like meet the quota that they were supposed to sell, they would also be punished, often violently. Um, so it just it just gets worse. He he falls deeper into alcoholism. I that's me. I'm going to guess, I'm going to assume based on everything that I read that he becomes an alcoholic because it seems like his drinking just continues to spiral and he becomes increasingly violent and like out of control, which by the way, like not an excuse. No, (laughs) but it is a a reason as to why it's happening. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Because I have been very drunk before. (laughs) I don't know if you know this. Charles. Wait, you? <laughs> but you I have had moments, you know, in college when I have been very drunk and I didn't physically harm anybody. Uh, so not an excuse. Um, but the punishments get more and more violent, um, including he forces members to break their own legs with sledgehammers. Um, <laughs> what? What? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Um sit on lit stoves. Uh shoot each other in the shoulders. And a follower would sometimes be asked to cut off another follower's toes with wire cutters to prove their loyalty to rock. So like He's now making them perpetrate abuse against each other, which I think is like twofold, right? Because it's, it separates them from each other, so they're less likely to form an alliance against him. Mm-hmm. And also like endears them more to him because they're doing it to prove their loyalty, to cement their loyalty to this person. And it probably like creates feelings of them. It's like, well, now I'm like a... Like you must create... You're doing something... You believe you're being instructed by a prophet of God. So it's like, I must be doing something good. But then I can't imagine you would do this to another person unless you're a complete sociopath and not feel like you're now a bad person, right? Because you you hurt someone else. Right. So or you're like, like, you just do it to save your own skin. like Exactly. And one of the followers does talk about that in the documentary of like, just being like, at that point, you're just glad it's not you. Yeah. Which I thought was so like brave and honest to to say to just admit like at that point you're just doing what you got to do to stay alive and you're just happy that it's not happening to you so uh 
I'm not going to go into into graphic detail, but the abuse did extend to the children in the cults. Um, they were sexually abused, and one of the most prevalent punishments that they faced. Oh, and like the children weren't supposed to like speak, like like at all. Yeah. Well, who was there? Um, se- was there sexual abuse or him? Ro- Rock. Oh, okay. Uh huh. So, and um, one of the most common punishments of the children was that they were nailed to trees, not like like their their clothing was like pinned to the to oh, a tree. Okay. Um. So, like they they were their clothing was nailed to a tree, so they were pinned on the tree, and then he would instruct other children or sometimes even their parents to throw stones at them. So, um, there is a story of, so, so an infant dies, an infant passes away. Um, I read multiple sources and so there are some sources that speculate that the child's mother intentionally left her child out in the snow and freezing temperatures so that he would die to keep him away from the abuse. However, um, the follower herself, her name is Gabrielle Lavallee. She is interviewed in the documentary that I watched, and she's also like she she does a lot of speaking engagements about her experience in the cult. She maintains that 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 did not happen; that it was Sid's um, sudden infant death syndrome. Mm. And that the that is the official cause of death on the on the report. But I I would say like listening to her like she does seem very credible. She was also the person that said like you're just glad it's not happening to you. She seemed like a really honest person who has done a lot of work to come to terms with what happened to her in this cult, and we'll we'll talk more about that. So to me, I found her her credible, um, but. So an, an infant does pass away, unfortunately, and the circumstances are debated amongst like the various sources that I read. So, um, so we talked about this when we talked about like uh, how cults indoctrinate people during our facts and figures section. So Terrio starts to backtrack on the original religious mission of the commune, um, and which was like basically. This is to get away from like the sinful. The original mission was to abandon the sinful worlds and to live healthily, um, to live like a pure life to prepare for the end of the world. Um, so now his new thing is that um, the purpose of of the cult now is to purify the followers uh, by ridding them of their sins through quote-unquote, purification sessions. And I'm sure it's not as great as it sounds. Yes, so during these purification sessions, the members would be stripped, uh, and then they would be whipped or beaten, or both. Uh, And now instead of just, like, a prophet, someone who has, like, you know, uh, an ear to God, he claims to be a holy being himself. Okay. Um, he says that he has uh, healing powers. Um, so we've gone from like, oh, being someone who's like a purveyor of homeopathic remedies to believing that like he himself is a holy being with like intrinsic power to heal. And he starts performing unnecessary amateur surgeries on members of the cult who fall ill. 
He's like, I can heal you with surgery. Yeah, we've now moved on to our certified surgeon. He's, yes. I mean, he's getting employee of the month, every month, it seems. <laughs> he wears many hats, and all of them bad. are terrible. Bad hats. <laughs> bad hats. Many bad hats. Keep that in mind, because we are going to revisit these surgeries. Um, yeah, so he thinks he can heal both spiritual and physical ailments through surgeries. Um, his motivational speeches uh, continue to get like more and more delusional and like less motivational and more just like crazy incoherent rambling. Um, he forces his followers to stay up all night listening to him ramble while he's drunk and uh, during one of these ser- quote unquote sermons, he takes a four inch thick wooden cube and beats someone who falls asleep in front of everybody. I like to even really words. cool guy. Yeah. Uh, so in March of 1981, um, a man named Guy Veer, who he joins the con- commune. And so I've read two different stories of how he gets there. He was either, he either escaped or was released from, like intentionally released from, a Quebec City Mental Institution. Um, and just the trigger warning is pretty horrible. So he beats one of the commune's children, a two-year-old boy, to death for crying. This, this, this is like, it's crazy to think about, like, this isn't just like a horror movie. No, this it's happened. Like, like, it's real. It really happened. Uh, and so terrio rock terrio sorry I, I call him by his first and his last name i'm realizing throughout my little notes but so so the child actually i'm sorry the child didn't die he he beat him within an inch of his life and uh to to, to save him believing he can heal him the next day terrio performs an operation on the badly beaten boy and uh he then dies from that operation and then to like purify and punish Guy Veer, the person who beat the child, uh, Rock Terrio castrates him. As if the surgery and the beating weren't enough. Yes. Castration. Um, yeah, so he, so, well, the, so the, the boy wasn't the one. It was the guy who beat the boy that was castrated. Oh, okay. As I like mean, does that make which, like, which, like, honestly, like, fuck him, right? <laughs> like, yeah. But also, like, that's, that's just, like, it's, it's like just overkill. one horrible person yeah, I, doing something horrible to it. I don't even think it's necessary. I mean, like, you killed a kid. Or, like, you beat yeah. a kid, like, almost to death. So it's like, I don't feel that bad for him. But it's like, it's just one horrible person doing something horrible to another horrible person. Like, it's just not the way yeah, that it like works. Two wrongs don't make a right kind of thing. Or, like, you know, I mean, he should go to jail. Like... Oh, they don't the have guy, jail there. The guy, the guy <laughs> maybe who they do. Beat the kid should like you know be reported and arrested and and like shouldn't be used as something to feed into like this this maniac's like power trip, right? I think that's what it is. Is like all this did uh, the like quote unquote punishment just like just like solidify like Terrio's like hold over Ego. his group, yeah, yeah and. And, like, believing that he has the the right and the power to, like, mutilate someone when, like, technically, like, you killed the kid by 
by performing this quote-unquote like healing operation um so he ends up being arrested rock terrio uh for the castration and for uh the death of the boy so in September of 1982, he pleads guilty to criminal negligence in the death of the two-year-old boy and to the castrating of Guy Vere, the person who beat the child. Um, he and seven other commune members are convicted of, of criminal uh, negligence for the boy's death. Um, so, like, you'd think that'd be the end. <laughs> Right. Well, how did that get found out? Um, so the guy Veer, I don't know if he was excommunicated from the group or if he left, or if he like um, left voluntarily. I'm not sure exactly, but but he leaves and like reports. Uh, and so that's how Rock Terrio goes to jail for two years, and in 1984, the group all reconnects <sighs> after he and uh, like presumably the other members are released. Brown prison and they moved to burnt river ontario members of that community become like aware of the cult and um some people even go like like reporters go to visit the cult um and they would hide what was going on by like throwing these lavish banquets and like everyone putting on a happy face and basically being like everything's great we live in bliss everything's wonderful um but some people do, like, notice that something is off. So, uh, the year after they moved to Burnt River, uh, acting on reports of child abuse, the local Children's Aid Society raids the commune and places 14 children in foster homes. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but what is crazy and, like, devastating is that all of the mothers of these children were given a chance to leave with the children and keep them in their own custody. But every single one of them, quote unquote, chose to stay Ugh. with Rock. They're probably like afraid that he was going to like find them anyway or. I'm sure they were terrified and brainwashed and. Right. Or some of them still felt like they loved him. And... You have to keep in mind too, like people who have tried to leave before have had their legs broken, their toes cut off. They've been forced to sit on hot stoves. Like, it's been bad, you know? Right. And, like, how do they know that, like, these reporters aren't just another trick, you know? Like, mm -hmm. they're on his side and they're going to, like, tell or he's going to know. Yeah. Or, yeah. Which, like, I mean, so he knew. Like, this all happened in front of him, the, the children being removed. Like, it was, like, it was a raid with, like, so, but, and basically they're, like, taking the kids away and they're, like, you can come. And but Rock is there, so like he's gonna watch them walk away and know. And so like I'm sure they think that he has like supernatural intuition and powers, and like could probably find them. And I'm sure they're just. And you have to also keep in mind they're starving, they're exhausted, they're like I'm. They just I'm sure they just feel like they they can't leave. He's built this like mental prison, basically. So. The cult continues to operate without these children um, for three more years, and in 1988, uh, there's a follower named Solange Bouillard who complains of an upset stomach. Rock Dario, believing he's this healer, <laughs> decides to take her to surgery. So he lays her 
naked on a table, punches her in the stomach. And, like, this is in front of other members, obviously. And, like, some people are, like, helping to hold her down. Um, He punches her in the stomach, then performs a crude enema on her. Um, And then, like, just warning. It's a little graphic. He, He slices open her abdomen with a knife, and he... Um, he removes part of her intestines with his bare hands. He he rips them apart. Ooh. Yes. Um, so he made... We've talked about her. This is the woman whose who's child passed away, Gabrielle Lavallee. He instructed her to stitch up Solange uh, using a needle and thread. And um, as part of this, like, procedure uh he had other women of the cult shove a a tube down her throat and blow air into it i have no idea what that was supposed to do i don't know what any of this was supposed to do except like literally torture a person right um so unfortunately she did pass away the next day i I mean like how could how could you survive that yeah um and Gabrielle is interviewed in that documentary that I watch, and she describes... So so I've seen... I've read sources that say, like, this all happened because Solange complained that she had an upset stomach. And so Rockteria was like, well, I'll heal you, because I'm a healer. And... But Gabrielle Lavallee describes in the documentary that what led up to this operation was Terrio claiming that Solange had the devil in her, and he had taken her out to the woods to beat her before this operation. Um, I believe it's possibly because she was like trying to leave, but I'm not 100% sure. So there is like, this is another situation that like, we know that he performed this surgery and we know that she passed away, but the circumstances around it, um, yeah. I mean, I, I tend to believe Gabrielle uh, about him saying like, oh, the devil's in you and I need to beat the devil out of you and, and yeah. like purify you. Like that's seems like the type of shit he was pulling all the time. So, um, so, uh, Gabrielle Lavallee, uh, she also was the victim of brutal abuse, um, at the commune during these, like the late eighties around the time that this happened to Solange. So, um, she was burned with a welding torch uh, she had a hypodermic needle break off in her back. Um, eight of her teeth were forcibly removed. And after the death of Solange Bouillard, uh, Gabrielle Lavallee attempted to escape, um, but she was caught. And again, this is this is pretty this is pretty graphic. So I'm sorry, but um, as punishment for that. Uh, Rock Terrio cut off part of her breast. He hit her in the head with the like dull side, the of uh, like the back of an axe. Um, he removed one of her fingers with wire cutters, and then after that, he he um, he put a knife in her hand, pinning it to the table, and cut off her arm with a chainsaw. It ju- just when I think. It's not going to get worse. It just gets worse. Yes. Yeah. Um, horrific. Like, unimaginable. And... Like, straight out of a horror film where you expect it to be like, that's not 
There's no happen. way that could really happen. Yeah, if you watch this in a horror movie, you'd be like, wow, that was, like, way too gory. Like, that's yeah. it's to the point of being unrealistic. And, like, yeah, just, like, gore for gore's sake. Um, but it gets better. It get, not, like, not like oh, it gets better if something worse happens. It legitimately gets better. Because oh. <laughs> in 1989, Rock Terrio is arrested for the assaults of Gabrielle Lavallee for all that bullshit that he pulled with her. And because she fucking makes it out, she leaves after all of that. She leaves again. And she makes it. Resilience. I mean, the bravery and the strength that that must have took. Knowing that, like, what is probably going to happen to you if you get back will be even worse than what she's already suffered. She'd literally been tortured. Yeah, she's missing an arm. Like. So she fled the commune and she she contacted the police and he was arrested for her assault. Um, and it turns out, like, the authorities um, in Ontario had kind of been eyeing the cult already. Uh because they, like, you know, people were aware that they lived in kind of, like, shitty conditions, basically. Um, but, like, obviously, people didn't know that they were being tortured. Um, and also, uh, the, but, okay, so the, so the authorities had, like, suspicions because they were, like, no one would, like, voluntarily live like this. Like, it's just, like, they lived, like, really primitively and it, they thought it was weird, basically. Um, and then also there had been the investigation in which children have been removed. But the commune was officially registered as a, like legally as a church. And so because of that, Ontario officials weren't allowed to investigate the adults. Oh. And all they could really do was just ensure the welfare of the children. Um, so... Rock Terrio is found guilty of assault for the amputation of Gabriel Lavallee's arm, and he is sentenced to 12 years in jail. Um, and this is this this time finally the cult pretty much disbands. Um, right. Although during this imprisonment, uh, he proceeds to have four more children during conjugal visits with some of the women of the cult who remain dedicated to him. Um, so. Gabrielle Lavallee also, uh, because she reported uh, that abuse, that allowed the Ontario authorities to further investigate. And they find more about, like, you know, various atrocities that are committed. And they discover um, the murder of Solange Bulliard. So, mm. in 1993, uh, Rock Terrio pleads guilty to second-degree murder for her death. And is sentenced to um, a life sentence in prison. Good. <laughs> yeah, fuck that guy. Um, so in uh, the year 2000, he's transferred to Dorchester Pen Penitentiary, which is like a medium security prison in New Brunswick. And um, he was able to apply in for parole in 2002. But he uh, was denied because they thought like he was too high of a risk to reoffend. So I would be like, you're denied on the basis of your a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and he, he didn't ever apply for parole again after that. <laughs> you're not making it out, okay? Uh, yeah, you're, mm, <laughs> you're not going. Uh, so... Uh, in on February 26th of 2011, Rockterio was 63 years old, and he was found dead in his cell at that Dorchester Penitentiary. Um, so it turns out that Matthew Gerard McDonald, who was a 60-year-old convicted murderer uh, and a fellow inmate, he was was charged with the killing. Um, so he pleaded guilty to second degree murder and received his own life sentence, which he was already in for yeah, a life sentence for, like for another murder. Um, so he, uh, Matthew Gerard McDonald had stabbed Octario in the neck with a shiv. And then he said that he, okay, so he stabs Octario, then just immediately walks to the guard station, gives them the shiv and says, Quote, that piece of shit is down on the range. Here's the knife. I've sliced him up. Unquote. (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, look, I'm not, I don't condone murder. murder, But, like, if someone has to be murdered, this dude, like, this dude kind of deserves it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) he deserves worse, in my opinion. Rocked area. Um... So, he's fucking dead and good. Uh, Gabrielle Lavallee goes on to become um, a motivational speaker. Um, she does lots of interviews. She does tremendous work in her healing. And it, it is incredible to watch her speak. So, if you can stomach it, I I do recommend like seeking her out. Because um, she's just such a... She's so honest and, I mean, an incredible survivor. The fact that after all she went through, she, she left. And she, she brought down this cult. She brought down this, this man who, who I, without her, Nev probably would have continued to operate for years. Yeah. Um, and she um, was able to reconnect with her daughter, who was taken when those 14 children were seized. Oh, wow. Um, and they have a relationship today, and she says that her daughter was raised by a wonderful adoptive family, and, like, she, who, like, welcomed her um, into, like, their life as well, and they, like, she was able to establish a relationship with her daughter. Um, so there's, like, a little bit of light at the end of the situation. And, like, thank God that she got away. Yeah, like, and and like all like I I I could I could never be me. <laughs> like I can't imagine being that strong or that brave. So yeah, because that's a lot of awful things to go through. Like I that, know. N- people can't. It's so in summation, Gabrielle Lavallee rocks super hard. Uh, Rock Terry is a piece of shit, and I'm glad he's dead. Uh. And that is the story of Brock Terrio and the Ant Hill Kids. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was so long. Believe it or not, that's an incredibly pared down version. I'm sure. I mean, I, I'm surprised that I, I didn't find it in my... I'm of my teachings and my <laughs> um, research. I, like, I couldn't believe that I never heard of it because I... Yeah. You know that I'm, like, really fascinated by cults and I, like watch documentaries and read books and listen to podcasts and like i 
I was I I had heard the name the Ant Hill Kids, but I didn't know the story. I didn't know how absolutely atrocious it was, and I almost didn't even do this story. But I do love, as you know, a badass survivor. So yeah, I wanted to tell it for Gabrielle Lavalle. Wow, what a wild <laughs> wild ride. My, mine is. <laughs> Is quite comparatively <laughs> feels a lot lighter. Well, I um, think that's good to end it. On yeah, the we couldn't do two of these. Jeez, <laughs> I know. And look, I I saw a lot of a lot of different cults that I could have chosen from. There was one that was like a, a cannibal dude, and he. Well, don't don't because maybe we'll do it in the future. Maybe we'll do a, a part two. And we can oh. talk about your cannibal. There was a couple cannibal cults. Cannibals? Can we stop eating people? It's like a thing. I mean, oh, what's that one dude, Army Hammer? Oh, yeah. I still think he's cute, but whatever. Um, <laughs> controversial topic. Um, so, my Wait, but story, do you think Ted Bundy's cute? I don't remember what he looked like. Okay, he's, in my opinion, he's not at all. You want me to look here? Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. Oh. No, he's like a solid five. He's just like an average white guy. Yeah, like with a unibrow. What did Dahmer look like? Jeffrey Dahmer. Wait, am I thinking of Dahmer? Who did I tell you to look like? They're at? honestly both not good no, wait. looking. No, who did I tell you to look at? Bundy. Yeah, okay, that's the one everyone thinks is hot. Jeffrey yeah, look Dahmer at Dahmer. Look at both of them. We need to do serial killers. Yeah, they're just like painfully average white men. No more. <laughs> no more. I've had okay. enough. Um, okay. Um, so. Oh, look yeah. at Rock Terrio because oh. I, I didn't put it in my report, but like there is, it's R-O-C-H-T-H-E-R-I-A-L-U-T. It's French. But uh, I didn't put it in my report, but there's, like, a lot of people who say, like, he was super attractive, and that's, like, part of how he got away with it. Ew, he's an uggo. He's so ugly. Ew, no. No. He's Look, so ugly. I get it if they're, like, good-looking, but... You get it if they're good-looking. Like, I understand why you might join, but, like, I mean... That, I know. Ew. Ew. It's nasty. <sighs> anyway. Um, so, <laughs> my story um, is told from the vantage point of Lilia Tarawa. She is from New Zealand, so she has, like, a pretty cool accent. Um, she grew up on the beautiful west coast she says of new zealand where there oh is... wait, what was your um source your sources oh i had a couple i had um so i had newshub.com and the ted talk video that she did and an interview that she did with a i have a couple um quite a few um, a couple youtube videos that were from Channel One News and um, one called Without a Crystal Ball is the channel that she did about like 10 months ago with 
Lillian. Oh, with, without a crystal ball is so controversial in YouTube drama right now. Oh, is she really? Yeah, she's getting sued. Oh. By um, by Tati Westbrook. Oh, really? Yeah. I gotta get into that. Yeah. Um, Let's just talk about that. <laughs> Let's revisit why James Charles is canceled. We like uh, it now. Um, so, yeah, she grew up in New Zealand, and she said, like, it was beautiful. Like, imagine these beautiful, you know, lush beaches and rainbows in the sky and blue skies and a lovely place. I mean, it's New Zealand. Come on. Um, but, unfortunately, New Zealand is also home to the Gloria Vale Christian community, where 500 men and women all lived in a communal hostel that um, each hostel was like three stories high, she said. Each family had one room, and there were about 10 to 15 families in, like, on a floor. And in that room, some families could be up to 15 members in that family. Yeah. So See, this, Again, this is where I'm out. You're going to put me in one room with my family? Yeah. I'd be All like, no. I'd and be you like, probably I'll... have like seven brothers and sisters. I'd be like, you know what? Um, I'll take hell. <laughs> well, see, <laughs> here's the problem. She was born into this. Oh. The leader of this cult is her grandfather. <gasps> yeah. Um, so the they all wear certain uniforms. I, I couldn't understand. I tried to look it up, the word that she said, that what it was inspired by, but I couldn't figure it out. Um, but I can only describe it as they all wore, um, like, the women wore a floor-length blue dress. It's very, like... Little House on the Prairie kind of vibes. I can um, get behind that. It's blue. They wear these head scarfs. Um, it's kind of like white. And it goes like under your hair and then whatever. Um, oh, like a little, handkerchief like, type yeah, of Yeah, like little triangles on top of your head. A bandana. Um, there you go. And the men wore trousers and a shirt and tie. And... On the site, it says there isn't any religious significance to the color blue, but it's a color that goes well with any skin color or complexion. I mean, that's kind of considerate. And that is considerate, right? Very progressive. Um, Also, I like just, I would love, like, now you, you definitely get me out with sharing a room with my family, but you might draw me back in with the idea of having a uniform, just like never having to pick out an outfit again. Yeah, I kind of love that. And but blue looks also, really good on me. Sometimes that takes away your individuality. So yeah, I could do without it. <laughs> Honestly, if I could wear those, like, um, <laughs> it's not like I'm like, well, you know what? I might as well just go to prison. Like the like any kind of jumpsuit, like an olive green jumpsuit. Oh, just like a utility suit. Yeah. I mean, I guess highly nothing's stopping us. I want one. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Um, fashion. So, like I said, her grandpappy was the leader. And she said he was, like, the power and the head of this whole community that he created. Like, he made this place. And it all started from him finding 
like one family and mm-hmm. he's a pastor and it all just snowball from there. Um, so Lilia, well, I said she was born into it, but technically she arrived at six months old, which basically is the same thing. Um, she said growing up, I mean, she had a good time. She had a lot of cousins and so many friends, so many friends. And she knew everybody, like a real family communal experience. She knew the people in the next room. She knew their brothers, their sisters, their parents, their grandparents. Like she just had a, she knew everybody and they had she said like a happy memory from her childhood. They had these birthday parties, these big lavish birthday parties with clowns and people with stilts mm. and planes that dropped lollies from the sky. Holy shit. Right. It sounds good. You would want that birthday party as like an adult. Like if, if you had that opportunity for this birthday, you just had that, you would have had that as your birthday party. Honestly, they even had cotton candy and you know, I had cotton oh. candy for my birthday. So, I told I told everyone was asking me what you did for your birthday and I was like, Oh, I I mean, the weather is really bad and corona, so but I know he made himself cotton candy and they were like, How? Does he have a, a cotton and I was like, A cotton candy maker? Yes. Yes, Charles does have his own cotton candy maker. <laughs> Shout out to Caitlin who listens to this podcast sometimes. She bought me that cotton candy maker. Uh, one of the best presents. Um it's technically a hard candy cotton maker, a hard candy cotton candy maker, and you can put like any little hard candy in the dish, and it melts and then makes the cotton candy. But I bought the sugar floss, like the traditional um, sugar floss. That's like the vanilla and blue raspberry, so good. But sometimes as I'm eating it, I kind of am like, I'm just eating handfuls of sugar, <laughs> like. <laughs> That's all it is. It, it's just prettier. And now yeah. I'm just melting into my mouth. Anyway, so she had a shared experience. Lilia did. She liked the cotton candy, too. And she said that there were no wages. People mm-hmm. did work. They had jobs. The men did, you know, the hard labor jobs. Jobs that even outsourced outside of this community. And... The women did the traditional, quote-unquote, women things, like sewing and cooking and taking care of the children and needlepoint. I don't know. Um, so, like she said, there was no wages, technically. Any money that was made was kept in a communal bank. Uh, so, you know, the money is distributed evenly when it needs to be to buildings and whatever. And of course we all know who's ahead of the communal bank, the grandfather. Um, so up until that point, she'd been having a good time, right? She's a kid. She's not enduring any kind of abuse. Airplanes are dropping candy from the sky. Right. Airplanes are (laughs) dropping candy from the sky. Like she's having a good time. (laughs) And there's a lot of birthdays. There's 500 kids. So, Trying to be a lot of planes. Um, until she was six years old. And she went to school. Now, I couldn't figure out 
if she went to a public school that just kind of like outsourced, but or if it was like a school inside and maybe just the teacher kind of slipped up. But I don't think that here's why I don't think that is because I don't think the teacher would have said this being a woman in Gloria Vale. So six years old, she gets her report card and she has excellent grades. And even the teacher felt nice enough to write some personal comments and says, Lilia demonstrates leadership skills that could be useful later in her life and her career, which is a wonderful thing. So yeah. she's like, I'm excited. Like, I'm going to go show my parents. I'm going to go show my grandpa. So they have, I mean, they all have the same meal time, right? So 500 people all together having the same meal time. And she hands it to her grandpa and her grandpa takes it and he begins to read it to the whole community. And she's like, I am feeling so validated. Like, I do have great leadership skills and my grandpa's so proud of me. And... Mm-hmm. At the end, after he's done reading it, he looks at her and says, we don't want women like you. Right. So and we are now introduced to the grand concept that I'm sure many of us are familiar with, misogyny. Mm-hmm. And so imagine hearing that. And at like six. six years old. Yeah. She's six years Ugh. old. She's a, she's a kid. And Okay. Do you know I did kind of have something like this happen to me, actually? Really? I, have I told you about this? Mm-mm. So when I was like a young teen, like when I was still in the church, I thought that God was calling me to be a youth pastor because I've always worked with like kids and I've always enjoyed that from the time I was, you know, I, I liked babysitting from the and time I was little. you do have good leadership skills. Yes. And I was uh, also like a very good public speaker as like a a kid and a teenager I did speech and debate and stuff like that so I thought that God was calling me to be a youth pastor and I told one of my church leaders and they go you must not be hearing God right because he would never call on a woman to be a pastor Uh, that is disgusting isn't that wild? That is wild. And then I'm sure from that point, you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot women are worthless. Like, <laughs> it was just, I, I mean, that was like a, a big part that like began my disillusionment yeah. with the church, disillusion with the church. But yeah, so like I, and that hit me hard as like a young teenager. So like, right. I can't so imagine, imagine being, being a little old. kid when you're, when you don't even understand. Because I, I at that point had started to kind of question my particular religion and ideology like this a little bit and it still hit me hard but when you're like a kid you rely on the like authorities in your life like your parents and grandparents to tell you how things are and it doesn't come naturally to to question that and especially when I'm sure when you're in such a controlled environment like she was so like I can just imagine that hit so hard yeah, she it said... It was probably really confusing and sad. Well, yeah, and, like, especially this whole time, she kind of trusted her whole family and her yeah. grandpa, and then she said after she heard that, she just felt worthless. Like, it... Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, my gosh, like, you know what? My grandpa doesn't even want women like me. And, like, I don't even know what I did wrong, but, you know, I feel very worthless. And... She had nine brothers and sisters. And 
and not shortly after this, when she turned seven, she found what she thought was her calling, which is crazy. She's seven years old. Um, at seven, she helped snip an umbilical cord during a childbirth, and she then helped, like, deliver the kid, and I think it was her aunt who was like, you know what, like, you kind of have a knack for this, and then she was like, you know what, I kind of do have a knack for this, and she was like, it's a woman duty, and it fits right into, you know, what I want to do, because before this, she had been really into music and practicing instruments, and thankfully, they didn't take that away, because she said she's proficient in, like, five instruments, so... I know. Um, wow, getting owned by a six-year-old. <laughs> no. Um, so she kind of diverted from that path and was like, you know what? Child care, childbirth, great. And um, a little bit about her family. Like, her dad was an acting manager of a business. that didn't really say what it was. And he was traveling a lot. And her mom was the woman in charge of the women. So she delegates all the womanly duties. So when she had gotten older, she started to realize that maybe things, well, okay, hang on. When she was 12, she was thrilled to have a period thrilled because she was like oh my god I can have a child this is incredible right like I am I am can finally fulfill she said like this meant she I could fulfill my purpose at 12 right like that's already like indoctrinated in her brain because I'll tell you um I put this at the bottom of my notes but in this community the grandpa, I don't know why I didn't write his name down. He was, he said that contraception, contraception, is that right? Yeah. Um, or like, um, uh, birth control, birth control. Um, it's not allowed and it's not a choice to have kids. It's just what you're supposed to do. Every woman here is supposed to have kids. There's no other choice. If you don't want it, then you're not listening to God. And that's like a sinful desire that you need to figure out because you're supposed to have kids. So, I know. Um, (laughs) So, she's getting a little bit older, right? And she starts liking this boy named Willing, which is a strange name. Um, he's the son of a church leader, and she said Willing was, you know, just a cute boy, and she's just developing normal feelings for him. And one day in school, the church leader brought in Willing in front of everybody, in front of the whole classroom, and he said that he was disobedient, and she says, I don't know what it was for. It could have been for talking back, brushing his hair the wrong way. It could have been for anything. So that gave me the notion that there's already weird, like, micro rules about things. Yeah. And since he was disobedient, the church leader who was his father uh, 
beat him in front of the class with a belt and all the kids were told to watch. God. And afterwards, he was like, I love you and God loves you and like gave him a hug and like tried to make it like, Ew. you know, seem like it was the right thing to do. And she, the whole time she said she couldn't even look and she was just begging for God to make it stop. And she kept thinking to herself, like, this isn't love. There's no way that, that that's love. I just watched him beat the shit out of his kid. Like, that. that's not okay. And she couldn't imagine how that was okay. And she found other forms of abuse, like when a lady brought her a toddler who had blue welts on their back. Mm. A toddler. And that's, like, two years old. Yeah. Um... She had a, she had many friends, but she did have a friend named Jubilant, and she said, "Imagine Jubilant as just the class clown. He's always funny. He's always lightening the mood for everybody, and he's the accurate name, right? Jubilant." And uh, one day at a soccer game, Jubilant had just made one too many jokes, and the soccer teacher Nathaniel just was sick of it and started beating him and punching him and was just like, you need to go back to the main building. And so she thought as he started walking back to the main building, maybe this would all stop. But instead the whole way back to the main building, he was punching him in the head and kicking him and Jubilant just had his like hands up trying to shield the blows. And it's just so sad. Um, So she's about 16 now. And a news crew comes in and they are doing an interview with the grandfather and the main family and everybody around all the young children and asking them questions like, you know, do you think they they even ask her on, on tape at 16, do you, do you ever wonder about like life outside of here? Do you ever think about things like that and she says no I you know that's a that's like a spirit of temptation or rebellion and that's something that you know we have to just like dismiss and Willing is also interviewed but she doesn't know that and I'm going to bring that up later because it was important because like I said, she she really holds Willing in like high regard. She thought that was the, the one she's going like to marry. Her age, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Willing is the son of a church leader, right? And she's the daughter of the of the main grand dude. Yeah, yeah. Um. So she really hits on points that um this cult because she did get out eventually right she said that you know that misogyny was the big one and that's what really they used on they focused hard on women submitting to men and women women having to fight evil desires like wanting to leave or thinking for themselves or not wanting kids or being vain which is so dumb (laughs) um especially like for someone like me even as a gay man like you know, a lot of us gay men, we really hold women in very high regards. And femininity is something celebrated. So to think that there's all these strong 
women who are just being told like everything that you're thinking, everything that's natural to you is just not good. It's an evil desire and you've got to get rid of that. And being told that over and over and over, it's scientifically proven what you are told or what you tell yourself is something that you eventually believe. Yeah, you internalize that, especially if you're told that at like a formative age. Right. Right. Because then you that can, becomes like part of your core beliefs about yourself. Yeah, you can definitely lead a kid just by saying something small mm-hmm. into a direction. And kids listen and understand. You and I both work with kids, and you know they listen and understand so much more than people realize. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure you might have to deal with it. I already deal with it, or you probably already have. Like even kids at a young age deal with sexism and misogyny from teachers. And oh, for sure, yeah. Especially... Or, like, you'll see it with, like, even, like, parents saying, like, oh, you can't play with that. That's for girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> or, like, yeah, I've watched people encourage children to play with, like, specifically gendered toys. Like, girls play with baby dolls and boys play with trucks. It's, it's so... Which is just so... It's creepy it's the way strange. that we do that to yeah. children. <laughs> like, like, boys are tough. Girls are like soft yeah and they can only do those things i know um she in that first interview that they had with that whole news group the grandfather had kind of set up lilia to do this big dedication thing that was a very big ceremony for all the young kids to go through sort of like a, a baptism of sorts and where you kind of profess that you are going to be like the advocate for Glory Vale, Gloria Vale, Glory, Glory, Gloria Vale, Gloria Vale, Gloria Vale, and well, sorry, um, <laughs> did you? Well, I said Glory Vale in my mind, and I, I knew that wasn't right. Um, and just you know, almost like wedding vows, like. Kind of like a a commitment to the cult. Yeah, and to God. And just kind of... Like those like purity ceremonies? Did you ever have to do one of those? Yes, and I only wanted to do it because I wanted to wear a ring. I wanted a ring so bad. Did you get one? I got one. Yeah, I did. I have no idea where it is now. I can't wear it now. That didn't take. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I don't know where mine is. I think I lost it. If anyone doesn't know in like... It, the purity like commitment ceremonies you basically just like say you're gonna be a virgin until you're married and then you wear like uh basically like um a, a wedding ring yeah that symbolizes your commitment to god or like in some churches like the women it'll be to god and like to their own father which is super weird um yeah. that like you won't have sex until you're married and the, do, do you remember when the Jonas Brothers had purity rings? Yes, I do. <laughs> I wanted one so bad. And I got, like, my little white gold purity ring from this jewelry shop by my high school. Yeah, mine was sterling silver. And I remember she even, like, tried it on my hand. She was like, I don't know, it's kind of tight. And I was like, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, you're just, I'll keep it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I love it. I need it. Yeah. Mine said, I, wor- mine said worth the wait. <laughs> With a little heart around the the uh no yeah it never like (laughs) i didn't even make it out of high school with that i think i lost it almost like not my virginity well 
soon after. But I lost the I literally the lost the purity ring. <laughs> One ring to rule them all. <laughs> yeah, I I lost mine, like I said, in more ways than one. So it is you. Um so sorry yeah. mom. My mother listens to this. Yeah, sorry. Sister. She I mean she knows. Um so like I said, Colt really loves misogyny. And which in case nobody knows, misogyny is ma- I don't think we're not I, a Lemony okay. Snicket book. Um we're not a Lemony Snicket book. Um So she says, listen and this is interesting. Her older sibling had run away. The next oldest sibling also ran away. The next one after that wanted to, but didn't. And Lilia had kind of thought about it, but this whole time, her parents were waiting for her to kind of come around to leave. Oh, so, like, were her parents not in it anymore? They were, but they wanted to go. And they were just kind of... And they were waiting for, for Lilia to be like, oh, like... Oh, God. was she the last one? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So... But um, she's doing this, like, commitment ceremony. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Um, she... Eventually, I mean, she's still pretty far into it, and I think it was about 18 around there that her family... And her left and went to the next town, like outside of Gloria Vale. And she, and it, it's such a shock. Actually, even before then, she, I didn't know, like, she also had a job as a graphic designer in Gloria Vale for a lot of the businesses there. Hmm. And she had internet access. So, she had, you know, kind of secretly learned some of the things that were going on. And it's crazy to me to think, like she said, that people are still there and people still don't know a lot of, like, the outside world and that women can be powerful and women can own their, you know, own femininity and gender expression and have like a safe for themselves. So, like I said, flash forward, she's older and she is out and her parents, thankfully also, you know, cause it, it would have been different if she ran away, but thankfully she got to leave with her entire family. So she had a support system and, and how old was she when she left? I'm unclear on that. She okay. was in her, late teens young adult age so like 18 to 25 um she really just delved in to current culture because it was so appealing to her to see that women could wear makeup and wear mascara and wear lipstick and not have to wear a scarf to hide their head and they don't have to have kids that they want to. And she said that if she could go back in time, she, she still has friends there 
that she would teach her friends about the world and she would say that you know you you don't have to have a baby if you don't want to and you can have a career you can be an engineer you can be a scientist you like women can be whatever they want to be and these women there they just don't know that and mm-hmm. a lot of them who are raised there like she said because there's 500 people there there's about you know a good handful of a hundred something kids who are raised to not know the influence of the outside world that women can have jobs and be important outside of cooking and so she like i said really delved into current culture and high heels and red lipstick and she was like you know what i am gonna make something for myself and along the way I'm going to tell people about how you can, you can, um, like be a strong woman. So she becomes a public speaker and she, she has a wonderful Ted talk. Um, I encourage you to listen to it. It's really good. And her accent is just gorgeous. Um, she talks a lot about embracing who you are and that same news crew who came to visit her when she was 16 also followed up on the report later now in her adult years and she goes over some of the footage with Lilia that they have and one of those clips is of Willing and who she still at this point kind of, you know, thought of willing as somebody who was also just slighted by growing up in the society and not really knowing better. But it was really hurtful when she watched this clip and it kind of like shattered her illusion because he talked about how women should be like submissive and, mm. you know, how men are kind of superior. And she knows that like ultimately he's brainwashed too, but to think that she would have been in that kind of marriage. Right. With someone who looked at her as inferior. Right. That was very hurtful for her. And, you know, why wouldn't it be? Um, she realizes some of, like, the big t- control tactics were also not only misogyny, but shame and guilt so like shame especially like when she was six years old that whole ordeal with the report card and Mm -hmm. guilt with telling people that you're like a worthless sinner and people treat me bad because i'm i must be doing bad things and i share a similar you know belief with that because how you know the religion that i was brought up in and like the baptist churches that i went to that's kind of like their whole deal is like You, I mean, I've heard, like, these sentences verbatim, like, you can't have pride in yourself, and you can't, you know, you're kind of nothing, and you're born a worthless sinner, and you're only have, you only have substance because of God. Yeah, you only have worth through the religion, you only have value, like, through God, because you intrinsically are not good or worthy. Right. And, and you only become that, like, through servitude. Yeah. And, like, here... And also, you know, I've heard that at a young age. So, 
is, and you know, we had been steered in that way. So I kind of yeah. sympathize with her on that or empathize really because that's, you know, very hurtful sometimes. Yeah. Um, and it does create a lot of shame to yeah. like, have that belief that you like at your core are bad and you need something else to make you okay and good. And that anything bad that happens is because you did something bad. Yeah. And that's the big one. That's a, why I even brought that up because I would think, you know, when I sinned or did something wrong and then anything bad that followed after that, I would be like, oh, well, that's because I did this. So, like, I must have right. deserved for this to happen. Right. Which is not true. <laughs> plenty of bad <laughs> things happen to good people and plenty of good things happen to bad people. Like, it's... Yeah. Um. So, Lilia, I mean, she's she's doing great now. She is one she's a very very strong woman. She loves to express that in her fashion and her makeup and she loves to do motivational speeches and that's she wrote a book um about her times which I kind of really want to read that book because I'm sure it tells a lot more than the interviews that I saw. Um Gloria Vale is still like doing alive and well because it's just a religious group that people mm-hmm. kind of see like sort of like not as harmful well um as what's the like Westboro Baptist Church like that oh yeah that whole thing like it's it still just exists and right because nobody can really like take it down because they're not technically it's not illegal. Like, just because something's wrong doesn't mean that it's illegal. Right. Yeah. they're not causing what seems to be blatant harm. So, that still hurts her to know that she still has people that she knows and people that she loved and still loves who are stuck. There. Yeah, and that children are growing up in a space over there physically and emotionally unsafe right because as you know like kids are just the option in this place like you yeah you get married you have kids and there's nothing outside of that and to think that she has gone from just wanting to give her life to a man and have children and now she's gone to motivational speaker and like woman empowerer. <laughs> That's a huge difference. And she leaves a great impact on everybody she speaks to. And I think that's something to be really like, it's very heroic almost in a way because yeah, she didn't have sure. to do anything with that experience that she had. She no. could have just kept it to herself and, you know, kind of sat with her own pity and shame and been like, I'm still worthless, but I guess we got out of there, you know? Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of courage to heal. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's really my story. It's more sh- is shorter and sweeter than yours. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was indeed. I like it. I think what I think like, um, a common thing is like there 
despite uh, what happens to you. And like there, I think there are times in all of our lives where we carry shame that isn't ours. And right, because like if something, if someone does something terrible to you, or if someone tells you like terrible things, the shame belongs to them, right? Because they're doing something evil and cruel. And it's not, it's not your shame to carry, but we do carry it anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think the women that we talked about today, um, both Lilia and, and Gabrielle, they found a way to set down the shame that wasn't theirs. Yeah. And And I think it's, you know, like we're, as people, we're always faced with a lot of us are faced with very awful circumstances Mm. and you can I'm trying to like put this as delicately as I can well we've never been particularly delicate (laughs) (laughs) no I I mean like what I'm trying to say is yes there is a point where you're not going to be empowered or have the power um, to do something about your circumstances, right? But even ultimately, like, after maybe that situation is over, I, and not even because that this kind of borders and what we thought people might say earlier of, why can't you just get out? That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like, after this trauma after being in a cult where you're faced with amputation or misogyny or both, um, after you're out, yes, there is a whole grieving and healing period where no one expects anything of you but to just sit there and process. Mm -hmm. But there is a point where you can take what you've been through and create something beautiful to not only help yourself but help others around you or maybe people who are still in a situation like that. And I think that's extremely admirable. And you can take some of your power back when you control the narrative by telling your story. Yeah. That gives you some of that power that was taken from you. And, and also, yeah, it can be healing and helpful to other people. And I think that is another way like that you take your, your power back by putting yourself in a position to help others. That is a position of power, right? Oh, yeah. And and when you don't abuse it, like these fucking cult leaders, when you use it for good, like I think that you raise other people up to to where you are when you've so it's like you've climbed the mountain and now you can bring other people up. And that just that just continues to build yourself in the process. And it takes tremendous strength and courage to talk about unspeakable things that have happened to you. It's like, these ladies were super cool. They really were. Go women. Women are amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so, scale of 1 to 10 now, after hearing the discussion, how afraid are you of cults? My fear rating... 
<laughs> is higher because of the reminder that in some of these cults, violent things are happening. I don't know what you're talking about. Like I on the, <laughs> on like in real time. Yeah. So even though I'm not worried that I'm going to get suckered into a cult and that makes me feel like not as afraid knowing that these that's when they some get of these you cults are right knowing that these cults are like doing some terrible things really kind of bumps it up to like a seven i think that's where i'm at too i think i am like a little more afraid because it's so it can be so subtle and so insidious and like as we talked i realized there are moments in my life where like I obviously I've never been in a cult, but like I have had like ex- co- some common experiences with the survivors that we talked about today, and why well, I'm inspired and encouraged that like people can come out of even like worse things and and thrive. Like I'm like still scared and yeah. like a little. I more think that's scared. what keeps mine like higher is because like yeah. I mentioned in, earlier, like way at the beginning of this podcast is I know that there were many a time and like quite a long period of my life where I could have been suckered right in. I was in a low enough vulnerable place that if you were to say you're the helping hand, you're the solution, even though you really weren't like I would have taken it. Yes. Yeah. We all get to a point where you will just take whatever is offered. If it'll be better than what is happening. And that's what makes it. And then it ends up so much worse. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, regardless of if you join a cult, there are always going to be people out there who unfortunately are looking for vulnerable people to prey upon in whatever way. And if that happens to you, it's not your fault at all. But I think it's just good for all of us to be cognizant that there are people out there who will take advantage of people at their most vulnerable yeah, not, lowest point. It's, it's very important to note that even though you may think so, and this isn't a reason to just distrust everybody on the planet, but not everybody has your best interests at heart. And yes. that's that's just a, a scary truth. And I think that's why it's so important, you know, that we look out for each other and we be that support system for each other and we we love each other because it is a scary world out there. So hold on to the people you love. (laughs) Bye. Bye.